Welcome to The X-Files, a special edition podcast from Full Prefrontal. We love stories because they take us to the secret hidden places where we store the essence of real living. Only through stories do we witness extraordinary moments of human resilience. In these special edition episodes, we hear the stories of former clients learning about their gifts, challenges, aspirations, letdowns, and inner activism. The clients presented in The X-Files have helped Sucheta become a better listener, observer, problem solver, and above all, a caring clinician. She hopes these stories will melt your heart and help you see executive function in a new light. And now, here is our host, Sucheta Kamath. Todd, do you agree stories have a healing power? a power to assure everyone that it's going to be okay. Oh yeah, no doubt about it, Sucheta, no doubt about it. So I'm launching this special edition I'm calling X-Files, uh, which will contain real-life stories of people with executive function challenges. Often people are unsure what executive function is all about or what it looks like. And when I get started with describing the symptoms of executive function disorder, such as somebody being late or distracted or unmotivated, somebody who's not organized or is struggling to plan, struggling to plan for the future, or losing sight of the big picture, or someone who takes impulsive decisions. People often say to me, hey, Sucheta, you're describing me. I have those problems too. Well, the difference between executive dysfunction and ongoing executive function faux pas is the frequency with which these problems happen and the intensity uh, with which these problems disrupt somebody's life. Well, I got to tell you something, Sucheta. I mean, I, every conversation we've had so far with all these distinguished guests you've had is I, I do feel like you guys are talking about me <laughs> most of the time. I mean, it's it's almost surreal. I mean, I, and it's amazing all these things that I've done to myself or, you know, all those all those symptoms you just described. I mean, we've all done that. We've all been there. And, and it's been fascinating to kind of get a better handle on that I'm not abnormal, that this is actually quite normal, and that there are things that can be done to help us do that. The other thing I'm excited about this, uh, these new X-Files is it's been fun listening to all these uh, amazing doctors and academics. Uh, it's going to be fun uh, hearing from real people, too. Exactly. And I think the real story of real people will tell us that the research findings is one thing, but these people are living their life every day, yeah. and they need help now. They need ideas and strategies now. And somebody like me in a clinical practice has to find solutions for them now. So our first story uh, sheds light on how executive dysfunction can pose a challenge in, in career advancement and disrupt the natural trajectory of progressive success that we have come to assume uh, will come our way once we have advanced in our career. I get to interview a very special client of mine who has become a dear friend. She is an intelligent, creative, strong, and tenacious woman in her 50s who has experienced many roadblocks in the process of self-discovery. She spent quite a bit of her life blaming her failures on the possibility of not trying hard enough or not wanting success badly enough. However, one day she serendipitously discovered that she suffers from learning disability and executive dysfunction. And having this knowledge has proven to be quite healing. Here's my interview with Lynn Seward. Now, of course, to protect her privacy, uh, we are not using her real name. So enjoy. 
In October of 2006, a marble slab fell on Lynn's head and she fell to the ground. She is not certain if she lost consciousness, but when she became fully aware, she noticed that uh, she was sitting on the floor and her head was bleeding. As anyone who experiences this would do, Lynn immediately went to the ER. She sought my help in October of 2007, almost a year later. And here to tell her story is Lynn Seward. Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Sucheta. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and honor for me to get a chance to interview you because in my podcast, I have never done this before. We have experts, researchers, and learning specialists, and those who actually provide the support and help, but we have never had an actual client. So your story is going to reverberate with many, many who listen, and you are going to provide them an insight and even kind of a sense of courage that you showed to seek help. So let me ask you a first question. What made you seek help And what were the challenges you were experiencing that created roadblocks for your success? Did they impact many important aspects of your life or just work-related stuff? Well, it's an interesting question because I think I've always had some learning disabilities as a child. I am 57, and when I was a child, they didn't have the special learning capabilities to teach young children uh, when I was in grammar school. So to start with, I I, I probably had ADD. I was very slow to learn in reading comprehension, and I found um, math very challenging and difficult. Hence, uh, I am now an interior designer, and I have a very successful business, but I still had challenges, organizational skills, uh, feeling very flustered when I had lots of challenges, paperwork, and just you know, trying to organize my day was, was difficult. After I had the incident, I was actually moving a client's dresser, and they had a large a marble bust on the top of the dresser and it fell and hit me in the head. And it got me thinking after I went to the, the neurosurgeon that, you know, I've always had some problems. And that's when I found you, Sucheta, and decided to come and get some help. And in your program, I started to see that I indeed had learning disabilities and you were able to help me not only in a professional manner, but also in my personal life, just to be more organized and to think processes through and put systems in place to be better functioning. So you have kind of taken us on this journey. I want to bring you back to some beginning parts so our listeners can understand this a little bit more clearly. When you said you had a lot of these uh, telltale signs of executive function challenges all your life, but something about this marble falling on your head as well as kind of creating the changes in your the way you thought or the way you paid attention. I remember when we did the interview, a few a list of challenges you had described that the big picture planning was really difficult for you. You found yourself that you were getting quickly overwhelmed and anxious very easily. You found that paying attention or uh, was became a much more harder task. And I kind of uh, used this uh, phrasing with you that you were using a sledgehammer to kill a bug. So can you tell us in 2006 and 7, what kind of work were you doing? And help us understand how did this impact your productivity in general? I think, I, like I said, I think I've always took the long way around. And it was very difficult for me to organize my day. I would have an overwhelming sense constantly of how I was going to juggle everything in the day. Planning, you know, my phone calls, doing my billing, because I kind of wore all the hats when you have a small business. And I just felt as though 
I couldn't focus. I just had too many, too many responsibilities and I didn't know what to grab first. I felt like I was on a merry-go-round. I would start something then the phone would ring. I'd start something else and I could never finish. And then by the end of the day, I was so overwhelmed and I felt, I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't on top of my game and I was, I never told anybody. I always kept it a secret. I remember having, I was, I was an executive prior to starting my own design business. And I remember one of my bosses saying that I was like a swan. I was just floating on the water. Very Everybody, you know, I seemed like I had it all together. But underneath, I was paddling a million miles a minute. And he figured out that I had the same executive function problem. I see. And that must have created a great sense of anxiety and a sense of fear that, as you said, being called on or uh, being found out. What kind of tricks and things that you try to use to manage this? kind of not being able to keep up with the work, uh, kind of bouncing off of tasks. What kind of tricks you came up with and how well did they work for you? Or why did they not work? Well, you know, and I will say it's more like you feel you feel ashamed. You know, I felt it was very shameful. I felt like I was hiding a secret. I knew that I was intelligent. I just knew that I learned differently than others. And I just had that sense of frustration. I don't know what I did, to be honest with you. You know, I, I'm a fighter. I'm very driven. And I just did everything that I could to stay ahead. I kind of ran, I ran my life to the best of my ability. And I did not have systems in place at the time. Once I came and met with you, I realized that I had to put things down on paper. I needed to have a system. And if I kept good notes and I formatted my day on paper, and I had something, an outline to follow, it made it much easier. You sounds like you kind of discovered some methods for yourself, particularly in your work. You have to keep notes on your clients. You have to review the recommendations you make to them. And then you were not just consistent. Sounds like you would develop a system, but you would not consistently use it or banish that and start a new system. But our work really helped in kind of appreciating the need for the systems. So we did a lot of work on self-awareness. And in my field, that's called metacognition. And I find that a lot of people, particularly bright people like you who have run into roadblocks in formal learning of years, uh, learning years when Systems don't allow a lot of elbow room. And so when you, they tend to get into entrepreneurial business, they work for themselves, they can set the pace, they can set the rules for themselves, and that becomes quite helpful and uh, allowing them to succeed. But they are also often resistant to employing systems because that makes them believe that it's imposing some type of rigidity or boxing them. Did you feel having organization and structure was like confining your style or compromising your style? Absolutely. And I'll give you an example. I was, you know, I'm from, I'm a New England girl. I came from an Italian family. My parents were very driven. And, you know, you were up at the crack of the dawn and you worked until, you know, your job was done. And sometimes that would be nine, ten o'clock at night. One thing I've always known about myself is I'm not a morning person. And I would get up in the morning. I never, I don't sleep uh, restfully anyway. And I would be very tired and I felt like the gun would go off and I'd have to run. And one thing that I finally have given myself permission to do in the last year or two is to start my morning a little bit later. Instead of taking my first appointment at 9 a.m., I take my first appointment at 11 and I work later in the afternoon. 
And I used to feel very guilty about that. Extremely guilty that I was, you know, I was lazy. Everybody else gets up early. Why can't I? You know, shame on me for not being able to run with the bulls. But it's, it's been life-changing the last year and a half to give myself permission to ease into my mornings and ease into my day. And I, I'm still very productive. In fact, I think I'm more productive now than I've ever been. And your story is going to kind of uh, tug on people's heart because I think we all harbor or carry this notion of what a perfect student should look like, what a perfect way of learning should look like. And if there is a student, there is a learner who defies that, the burden on is on that student to comply or cooperate. And you are talking about those kinds of thoughts and ideas that you were raised with, kind of you carried that throughout your adult life. So if you don't wake up early and start your day at a crack of dawn, then you suddenly become labeled as a lazy person. But I don't know anybody who works as hard as you do. So it, it is a shame to be labeling people like that. So sounds like, can you help our listeners understand that a lot of these struggles, which start at a basic foundational cognitive abilities, in my opinion, such as paying attention, sustaining mental effort, or holding two, three ideas in your head while we are working on those ideas, planning, organizing, these are all executive functions, but they are invisible to the naked eye. And what is visible is the behavior of that individual. And certain types of behaviors classify as character trait. And so a lot of these children, when they're younger, and a lot of these adults, when they're older, get labeled unfairly or they get treated unfairly. And that can have a great deep psychological impact. So can you talk a little bit about your anxiety and stress that you felt about not being that person other people wanted you to be, but knowing that you're so capable? Yeah, I really think it started when I was in elementary school. Because I was a slow learner, I would be put in that, you know, they labeled the classes A, the A, B, C, and D class. And I was always in the D reading class and the D math class. In fact, I remember being in fifth grade, they put us in a closet. It was like this, you know, uh, really? like an extension of the, yeah, it was like an extension of the classroom. It was this dark closet that used to be used for storage. And they put a, like a desk for four kids in there. And we had a little wow. light and we'd go in there and it was just so demeaning. And I can remember the teachers. I, I can remember right away if I didn't quickly, then I was kind of ignored. You know, I wasn't the teachers, never, never, ever was teacher's pet. It was always the smart kids that got all the, you know, the uh, admiration and the, and the credit and the, the candy bars when they won a contest. And then just, I just felt like I was overlooked and I was invisible, to be honest with you. I think that's what made me so driven as an adult. I left home very young. I was 17 years old and I really made it on my own. I worked three jobs when I was in my 20s because I knew that I could be a success. And I'm very physically hardworking. I could, you know, what I do as an interior designer and I also do staging, but I can walk into a house and move every stitch of furniture and organize somebody that would take three men to do and do it in two hours. So I'm not lazy. I'm very motivated, but I'm more motivated on a three-dimensional level than I am on paper. It's very hard for me to organize my thoughts and put them down and be structured but I could go into a room with it that's got a desk full of a million papers and ex um, home accessories all over the place and make it look like a magazine in an hour and a half. And like I said, it would take somebody else hours to do. So I've, I've finally at this age, I realized, okay, I don't have all the gifts, but I do have a gift that most people that are more analytical don't have. 
And it just, it took age to understand that. And I think I'll always have this. I'll always be who I am. And I've just learned how to accept it and how to love myself and to realize that you can't be everything to everyone. But the most important thing at this point in my life is to live a balanced life and to be happy and to take the gifts I have, appreciate them, and continue to work on those things that that I don't grasp as fully as, as other individuals. First of all, your story just makes me sad that the teachers and educational system and and our conventional wisdom fail to understand the fullness and robust intelligence that you had. And you were not conventionally able to express it through certain academic rigor, but that's not essential to be considered fully intellectually capable. And that's where I think, I hope, we are moving in that direction. Howard Gardner is a famous researcher, and he has talked about uh, multiple intelligences. And one of the intelligences he talks about is this notion of visual spatial analysis synthesis skill that you are gifted in. Tell me what age or how did you discover that you're talented in this three-dimensional thinking? And of course, there's no class in class that requires you to, you know, like build things or visualize things or stage things. So probably you did not have a lot of opportunities, but where did you actually shine? Well, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a sob story here, but I was also diagnosed at uh, four and a half years old with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So I was in a wheelchair a good part of my childhood as well. So I did miss some school from time to time. So that could have been part of my learning disabilities. But I played Barbie dolls. And what I used to do is my mom had in our home, we had one room that was not quite decorated. And I'd build little rooms, you know, for my dolls. And that became my world because my friends were all at school. And so I think at that age, I started to dream and visualize how to make something into nothing with cardboard boxes and and crayons and, and construction paper. So it started there. And then I think I always had a great eye for color and for fashion and I love to dress pretty, and I love jewelry. And so I always was complimented for the way my room looked or the way I dressed. And then when I got into my 20s and I worked in corporate America, I would be the one that was always assigned to come up with a theme for a party or a trade show. And even though I was in sales, somehow um, they would ease me into marketing because I just knew how to make things look good and how to make, make people feel good in their surroundings. And I've personally seen the beautiful touch you have and your keen sense of aesthetics and you have a magnificent power of transforming spaces. And I'm so happy to see you in a place where you actually shine. That's what I always say to a lot of my clients with ADHD who are struggling or young adults who are in college and they're struggling to find their calling. That first couple of years even of college are difficult because they are targeted towards developing some or getting some basic fundamental requirements out of the way. And you don't get to focus on your area of strength and interest to develop mastery. But once you are there, once you're in that zone, everybody can shine. I'm just going to read out, uh, Mayo Clinic has a list of uh, ADHD, adults with ADHD symptoms, and I'm going to read them out. And I wonder if you had, or if your family had an understanding, or you yourself knew this, you might have been diagnosed with uh, ADHD a lot sooner. But the the symptoms go like this, uh, impulsiveness, disorganization and problems with prioritization, 
poor time management skills, problems focusing on a task, trouble multitasking, excessive activity or restlessness, poor planning, low frustration tolerance, frequent mood swings, problems following through and completing tasks, hot temper, and trouble coping with stress. Do you relate to any of these symptoms uh, when you became adult? Absolutely. Almost all of them. You know, the frustration, yes, all of it, definitely. Did you understand how these symptoms were impacting your work life and personal life? Yes, I did, but I never really put my finger on it until people started talking about it and I started reading about it. Because really, you know, this was something that was just pushed under the the rug for many, many years. It wasn't a label. I'm sure my father had it. I'm sure his brothers and sisters had it. Because, you know, when I go back to New England to visit my family, I see the traits in my aunts and uncles and even in my cousins. I think it's just something generic as well. But yes, most definitely. Tell me, when you were growing up, was there any one person or one particular system that really provided you the support that helped you or help you blossom or uh, any particular techniques uh, when you were younger helped? You know, not really. I spent, um, I was bullied a lot. I spent a lot of time alone. I think playing, you know, with my Barbie dolls, as corny as that sound, I became, you know, I, I, I created this imaginary world. And I knew that one day I would get out and I would be somebody. You know, I, I just visualized through my Barbie doll what my world would be and that I would leave that small town and that someday I would, I would make it and become someone. I didn't really have any teachers that really helped me. I was pretty much a loner. And to this day, I, I sort of still am. But it's, it's not a negative thing and it's not a sad thing. It's a positive thing. It gave me the gumption and the motivation and the determination that I was never going to give up. I was going to find my way. And I feel very blessed. I have a very successful business and I'm, I feel as though my clients love me and support me and I love giving back and there are no accidents. You know, I think some of us that come into the world that have these learning disabilities, it's just, it's a blessing in disguise and it, it helps us in the long run to learn how to function and to become better people. And, you know, you never give up. I'm still, I'm 57 years old. I'm still learning how to manage things. I'm still learning, like the blessing I told you of just, you know, finally giving myself permission to start my day a little bit later and not feeling guilty about it. And another thing, I don't try, I try not to take on too much anymore. My theme is to live a balanced life. I don't have to make all the money in the world. I don't have to have all the fame in the world. My life is now about being balanced and enjoying it and trying to take it one minute at a time and one day at a time. Oh, wow. Well, you have developed such a beautiful perspective that's helping you cope as well as you are reshifting your thought process. So you are, you know, this is my favorite story. Uh, Dalai Lama was once asked uh, on a ha- at a happiness conference, he was asked, can you please tell us what was the happiest moment of your life? And he paused for a second and he said, now. And then Mm -hmm. he paused again and said, now, you know. So I think that is the true nature of finding peace and happiness is to discover the happiness can be found in the moment uh, that you're living. You talk so wonderfully and clearly about the experiences you have had. If you had a chance to talk to some of the teachers you had who didn't quite get you, who didn't really understand that they were causing any harm, to your sense of self, but they were insensitive or just uh, oblivious. 
What message would you have for them? What would you tell them? What could they have done if older Lynn walks into the classroom where the teacher is talking to or teaching younger Lynn? What would you say to that teacher to do that will really help her? Don't pigeonhole. Don't pigeonhole people. Be compassionate and realize that people learn. Everybody has different ways of learning. And I'm just so hopeful for the future. I'm hoping that they're going to start teaching children, realizing that that children learn differently. And instead of putting them in the ABCD group, which may be the one, two, three group, or, or the learning disability group now becomes the creative group, the creative thinkers instead of the D group. Absolutely. Be compassionate. And everybody, every just like every adult, we all have something to give. We all have something to bring to the table. Just because a child is weak in one area doesn't mean they're weak in other areas. And find find what they're good at and compliment them. And I remember being in art class. I would be the, you know, I'd, I'd do these fabulous works. But, you know, the teacher would tell you, this is really great and give me some recognition. But it really didn't, it didn't seem like it mattered because it wasn't like a real class. You know, it wasn't math, science, English, history. It was just play. You know, I did, I, I always felt like, oh, well, great. I got recognition because I play great or, I, you know, I can draw beautifully. But nobody thought that was important. So certain it's academic so skills were considered second class. The, exactly. The, the arts were not considered really the uh, first right. class uh, so academic important. abilities. What I do now, I mean, I'm, yeah, and what I do now, I make, I work with doctors and I work with physicists and I work with biologists. I decorate their homes and they, they're in awe. I mean, sometimes they, they get teary-eyed. Oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe you made my house look this beautiful. And I look at them and go, wow, you just operated on a, a person and saved their life and and you have tears in your eyes because I made your home beautiful. I used to think, gosh, you know, but really, I mean, we all have something to give and we all affect. I mean, beauty is important. People's homes, the way they live is important just as much as it is to edu- to be a teacher and educate somebody or a doctor and heal somebody. You know, it's it's what makes the world go around. We all have we all have our gifts. And yeah. and I think it's important for, for teachers to acknowledge that you don't only have to be, a, you know, great in math. You can be good at many things, not just get A's in math and science. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Clear? You're sounding like you're appealing them to widen their lens and look at the student as a whole and look at their expression and, as, um, and can be evaluated and judged in many ways and that can still promote intellectual development. What a beautiful message, Lynn. Let me ask you another question, very similar to the first one. If you could go back and have a conversation with your parents as they were raising you as a young person, what advice would you give them so that they could have provided the support at home in a better way? Well, I think, you know, I I have a brother as well who who has some learning disabilities. And I think back then in the 19, you know, early 60s, parents didn't read as much with their children They were more concerned that, you know, their children were just getting good grades and were going to, you know, move to the next level. And my parents didn't really spend time with us reading and and really helping us, engaging with with us in our homework. So that's one thing. But they were both busy and they were working professionals as well. So I I understand, you know, kind of why they, they weren't as involved. I think just spending more time with us really in reading and being more in, in, in tune. I remember also being in um, high school and I was uh, taking Italian 
And language, believe and it's funny because I love music, but language was very difficult for me. And I had a very difficult uh, Italian teacher. He was very mean. He was uh, very, he was very critical. He would shame you. He would uh, make you stand up. And if you didn't, if you couldn't speak a certain exercise, he would kind of ridicule you in front of the whole class. And it, it, oh and I was goodness. very, I would come home and cry. I, I would be ashamed. And again, there the shame came in. Now I was not good in Italian. I couldn't learn a language. You know, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm stupid. But my parents did stick up for me at that point because they saw how, how it was affecting me and how depressed I was. And they did go in and, and we, I changed instructors. And I ended up getting a C in Italian, which was a big deal because I was flunking with, with the mean <laughs> teacher. So, um, so they, I mean, yeah, I, I think they did the best they could. But I would say for any parent, you know, try, you know, every child learns differently. And you may have one child that gets all A's and you may have one child that doesn't. But, you know, find the beauty in that child. Find out what they're good at and, and how they learn. And find somebody who understands learning disabilities and get them help. Because I truly believe that if I had the right instructor and they understood how I learned, I could have learned math. I could have learned science and been very good at it. But I just had to learn differently than than most children. So I'm going to change the direction here, uh, Lynn. A lot of my clients who I work with experience uh, impulsivity and um, inflexibility. And sometimes their impulsivity, when they're frustrated or when they're annoyed, they have much you know, lower threshold of tolerance and they tend to take decisions they, uh, that eventually tend to harm them or not turn out to be most favorable. Do you have a story for our listeners that you yourself experienced something like that that you can share? Yes, I can. I'm not proud of this, but I've had a few jobs that I've gotten fired from because I didn't like the way I was treated or I did feel as though I was pigeonholed. And so I would get frustrated and mouth off or um, say the wrong thing or not take their instruction. One thing that stands out in my mind in particular is I work for a corporation and I had a boss who was a little chauvinistic, and, and uh, I was the only woman on the, the sales team. And we went to a, a trade show, and I'm pleased, I'm not proud of this. And uh, afterwards, we had dinner, and I had one too many drinks, and I pretty much let him know how I felt in front of his boss and his boss's boss. So uh, needless to say, I didn't have a job the next day, <laughs> and I should have been uh, more mature, and I should have thought things out and I, you know, but sometimes I think being creative and being ADD, sometimes we go off the deep end and uh, again, something I'm not proud of, but I've learned how to push that side down a little bit too and, and be a little bit more mature. And I think that comes with age as well. Thank you for being so candid. I, I really appreciate that because I think even though these are probably not uh, moments, as you mentioned, not to be most proud of, but I think they are t- they um, kind of a are window into this whole notion of this invisible disability that uh, the impulsivity is actually having to think through uh, consequences of your actions. And when you're aggravated, when you're egged on, when you're teased, or when and you have mentioned a theme that you in your life you have experienced is shame. And so anybody who kind of tugged on that or kind of you know pressed on that, uh, that probably uh, led to a strong reaction. And uh, in this case, kind of 
had a much a severe consequence. But yeah, you have understood that and learned that, but with a lot and lot of experiences. In my clinical practice and my work with uh, my clients, what I experience, um, what I have come to understand that failures, repeated failures don't necessarily lead to learning. Finally, some drastic events in life lead to learning, but there's a high cost associated with that. And that's why we must provide treatment. We must provide support and understanding so people don't have such you know, severe suffering that goes along with it. Absolutely. So as we come to an end, I wanted to ask you, tell us a little bit about the work you and I did and what kind of impact did it have? I can share with our listeners, with your permission, that your primary, um, we did not have long hours of therapy. We had a very few sessions. And in those limited sessions, we did focus on working memory training. We worked on planning and organizational training. We did some big picture thinking. And we did a lot of self-evaluative process, which is called metacognitive training. And my uh, goals there were for you to develop an understanding of who you were as a learner and thinker. And my intention was to give you strategies that will allow you to control your attention by removing distractions and really focusing on intent. So tell us, how did you find the therapeutic experience and what benefit you saw for yourself? Well, first of all, it was, you know, I finally came out. You know, I finally realized that I needed some help and that I knew that there was something that wasn't quite right with the way I functioned and the way I learned. And I was tired of hiding and I wanted to find out why. Why was I the way I was? And was I really, you know, I knew I was intelligent, but the world made me feel like I wasn't. And so it was wonderful. We met in a professional setting and I kind of took you aside and and told you a little bit about my background and and it was a relief for me to finally be able to sit with somebody who was a professional and talk about my truths and to be accepted. You know, you were so kind, you 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 have situated you're so wonderful. You your smile, you laugh, you're you're so compassionate and understanding. So it was so so easy for me, but it was easy for me to sit down in front of you. And then I didn't have to go into a lot of detail. You understood right away. And by doing the little exercises that we did and the homework that we did, I started to understand how my thought processes worked. And I'd do the homework and I'd come back and we would go over it together. And then I would see where there was a loose link in the chain and how to make that link stronger. And by doing things a little bit differently and putting plans in place and systems in place. so. It was very helpful. And if if more than anything, I felt grounded for the first time in my life and felt not ashamed and that like, wow, this is kind of cool. I can work this out. And boy, I wish somebody had showed me how to do this 30 years ago. And I felt empowered and I felt like, okay, and I'm not the only one. There's other people that are going through the same thing and that I don't have to hide anymore. And I talk about it all the time now. Oh, I laugh. I say, yeah, I have ADD. Big deal. You know, um, <laughs> I have it. So what? And I run across so many people today that have it that don't even know they have it. And I just smile and think, you know, bless them. They'll, they're, they're functioning. And I think we all find a way to function, whether we get help or not. But boy, is it wonderful when you have those tools in place. And you can get your head around it and make the changes and just be aware, okay, I have a hard time every day um, staying structured. So 
So if I pull this worksheet out and I do the work, then my day is going to go smoother. If I just shoot from the hip and try to take all these phone calls and don't find things away and don't follow a system, things are going to get a little more chaotic and I'm going to feel out of control and I'm not going to feel balanced. And my whole thing at this point in my life is I want more balance. So in order to get balanced, you have to work, you have to work it. You really do. And, and you know, it, it was such a joy to work with you. One of my favorite moments was you are such a visual spatial learner and you connect ideas in a very abstract way. But if they are visually presented, we did a lot of working memory exercises and what you were able to convert that into some patterns for yourself that even I couldn't understand. And as part of <laughs> part of exercises, you brought your color deck. I think it was Sherman Williams color deck and we used the color deck as a, as a training material. And you had such clever ways of connecting ideas or uh, we were trying to remember to remember some ideas in terms of the, the numbers of the colors or the names of the colors. And the way your brain thinks is, is beyond my imagination. And so I think this exchange felt to me that you offer equal amount of wonderfulness to the world as world can offer to you. And you seeing that for yourself was extremely joyous for me. And so thank you for the opportunity to work with you. And you have been an incredible asset to our listeners today by coming on and sharing with so much courage. So uh, I really appreciate it, Lynn. And as we come to the end, do you have any message for our listeners and particularly the young ones and the parents and the adults who are in the closet, so to speak? Do you have any message for them? Yes. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to you and and thank you for letting me, um, you know, have my platform here today. You've been a wonderful help to me and you've helped change my life for the better. And I would say to the listeners, you know, we all are special. We all have our talents. Don't give up. Keep trying. Find ways to combat the confusion, putting systems in place, uh, working with Suceda is life-changing. And realize we all have gifts. We may not all be analytical, you know, scientists, but we all have something to bring to the table and to this world. Embrace your talent. Embrace your weaknesses because your weaknesses are really end up becoming your strengths. Beautiful. Once again, this is Lynn Seward, and thank you for being on the show today. You are a true gem. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Full Prefrontal, exposing the mysteries of executive functions. To contact our host, Sucheta Kamath, and learn more about her work on improving executive functions, visit her website at CerebralMatters.com. That's CerebralMatters.com. Tune in next week for the next informative episode of Full Prefrontal.